Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 33. Today, Son of Sam begins, and a plane hits the Empire State Building. If you're an individual listener who would like to support the podcast, visit agreatbigcity.com support and make a one-time or monthly contribution. Or if you're a local business or just someone with something to promote, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more about our single-episode community calendar ads and the multiple types of monthly ads available. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. Congratulations! Hudson Yards may be New York's newest neighborhood, but it's already risen to the number two spot on Property Shark's list of the city's most expensive neighborhoods. The newcomer's glass skyscrapers didn't stand a chance against the sky-high prices of low-rise Tribeca. The perennial celebrity hangout remained on top with a whopping median sale price of $4.34 million based on Property Shark's data of residential property sales completed in April, May, and June of 2019. Of the ten most expensive neighborhoods, nine were in Manhattan, with Brooklyn's Cobble Hill jumping in at number seven on the list, with a median sale price of $2.3 million. Overall, the neighborhood rankings end up being based on a few high-dollar purchases, but I still don't think AGBC World Headquarters will be relocating to Tribeca anytime soon. Way back in episode 7, we talked about the proposal for a public beach in Manhattan. And this week, the Hudson River Park Trust revealed some renderings of what the park and beach may look like. The space will be built on a peninsula in the Hudson River that previously held a Department of Sanitation facility and is actually the last remaining piece of 13th Avenue, which previously began at that point and ran north but was removed when the west side of Manhattan was excavated to accommodate larger ships along the area where cruise ships dock today. The Park Trust and the design team have been consolidating public feedback on what type of features should be built at the park, and the public has requested a sports field, water access, and quiet spaces where the local community can relax. All three of those suggestions are incorporated in the newest renderings, with a large sports field in the center of the park, a sandy beach providing access to the water, and raised walking areas covered with trees providing a serene green space. Along the south side of the park will be a large structure donated by the nearby Whitney Museum that approximates the outline of a building that used to be present on a pier at the location. Along the north, space will be reserved for the FDNY Marine Company 1 to dock their fireboats, including the 100-foot-long, $27 million Fireboat 343, named in honor of the 343 firefighters who lost their lives in the September 11th attacks. Although the park will contain a sandy beach for catching some sun, it's unlikely anyone will do more than dip their toes into the Hudson, as not only is the water dangerous due to its tides and ship traffic, but there is also a pre-existing sewer overflow pipe located near the southeast corner of the park. Construction of the park is expected to begin in late 2019 and be completed by 2022. Happy Statehood Day to New York! 231 years ago, on July 26, 1788, New York becomes the 11th state to join the United States of America. New York City would also serve as the capital of the United States from 1785 to 1790 with two presidential mansions in Manhattan 
and both the inauguration of George Washington and the first meeting of the United States Congress that took place in Old Federal Hall. New York and Virginia were seen as the two most influential colonies needed for the success of the United States, and New York ratified the Constitution just one day after Virginia did so. Well, there was a reason I talked about mosquitoes in the city recently on episode 30. This week, the City Department of Health detected mosquitoes infected with the West Nile virus within the New York City area. July begins the active season for West Nile infections, which are spread via mosquito bites, and while no human cases of West Nile have been detected yet this year, now is the time to be prepared and protect yourself from mosquitoes if you'll be outside. Wear clothing that covers your skin. Use a mosquito repellent containing the chemical repellents DEET or picaridin, or use a natural repellent containing oil of lemon eucalyptus. Be sure to seal around your window air conditioners so that mosquitoes won't have an easy entrance into your home, and use window screens if you'll be leaving the windows open. If you're traveling overseas, take special precaution to avoid mosquito bites, and consider a vaccination against diseases that are common in the areas where you will be traveling. If you're staying in the city, you can even do your part by calling 311 to report standing water defined as a place on public or private property where water gathers and remains for more than five days, creating a habitat where mosquitoes may breed. One hundred and two years ago, on July 28, 1917, 10,000 people march in the silent parade down Fifth Avenue to protest recent violence and riots aimed at blacks in the South. Organized by the NAACP, James Weldon Johnson, W.E.B. Du Bois, and local community leaders. The parade featured women and children dressed in all-white clothing at the front, followed by men dressed in all-black clothing. Each section of the parade had its own designated organizer, and nurses and physicians rode along the parade route in automobiles in case anyone needed medical attention. Although some marchers carried signs and banners, there was no chanting or singing as it was meant to be a solemn, silent demonstration. The march headed south down 5th Avenue from 57th to 23rd Street on what was one of the hottest days in 25 years, with a line of mounted police officers leading the way. Here are some of the scenes that Lester A. Walton described in the New York Age from August 2nd, 1917. At 5th Avenue and 46th Street, I saw two well-dressed white women attentively listening to a young colored man explain why the parade was being held. At 43rd Street, I saw a white and colored man standing side by side, heartily applauding banners bearing inscriptions demanding a square deal. At the infamous Union League Club, which gave Lincoln and the anti-slavery movement strong support, and which is one of the most American of American institutions, I saw gray-haired aristocrats express sympathy for the marchers by frequent outbursts of applause. At the Waldorf Astoria and other famous hostelries, I saw elegantly costumed women and well-dressed men look on approvingly from the windows, and all along Fifth Avenue I observed that true Americans stood with uncovered heads and paid respects to old glory, whether it was carried by black hands or white hands. Three years ago, on August 2, 2016, Karina Vitrano is attacked and murdered while jogging in Spring Creek Park in Howard Beach, Queens. 
The case was solved six months later after a suspicious person was tracked down and matched to DNA found at the scene. The killer claimed that the attack was impulsive. He had been known to prowl around the area, and people who knew him described him as emotionally unstable. After an initial mistrial, a second jury in April 2019 sentenced the killer, Chanel Lewis, to life in prison without parole. Although the case was solved via traditional police methods, the Vetranos became advocates for using familial DNA to locate suspects, a process which can identify family members of a suspect even if the suspect's DNA is not on file, as was the case in Karina's murder. Karina was 30 years old and had received her master's degree from St. John's University. She worked as a speech pathologist, helping autistic children learn to communicate. She loved to eat sesame seed bagels for breakfast, and her favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz. Karina's father, Philip Vetrano, now maintains a hidden garden in the same area where she was found in remembrance of his daughter. Seventy-four years ago, on July 28, 1945, a U.S. Army B-25 bomber hits the Empire State Building, killing all three crew members aboard and 11 people in the building. The pilot became disoriented in thick fog as he was flying from Bedford, Massachusetts to Newark, New Jersey, and hit on the 78th and 79th floors on the north side of the Empire State Building around 9.45 a.m. Thankfully, most of the wreckage remained in the building or on lower roofs, and the resulting fire was quickly extinguished. One of the plane's engines traveled completely through the building, exiting through the south face with enough momentum to crash down to the roof of 10 East 33rd Street. Although 11 people died in the building and 26 were injured, there were fewer people in the building overall since the impact happened on a Saturday. Workers in the building at the time described the impact as earthquake-like, with the building swaying and a bright flash as the plane hit. At the time of the crash, the Empire State Building was the tallest building in the world. The crash also severed the cables to some of the building's elevators and caused what would become the longest fall ever survived in an elevator. Betty Lou Oliver was already injured inside the building, but was then loaded into a damaged elevator. The safety cable snapped and the elevator fell 75 stories, being slowed down by debris and coils of wire at the bottom of the elevator shaft. Rescuers dug through debris and cut away mangled metal to find Betty alive but with serious injuries and broken bones. A similar crash would take place ten months later when another military plane would become disoriented in heavy fog and hit 40 Wall Street at the 58th floor. Forty-three years ago on July 29, 1976, David Berkowitz shoots two young women in the Bronx beginning the Son of Sam murders that would keep New York City on edge for the next year. Donna Loria and Jody Valenti were sitting in Jody's car outside Donna's home on Bior Avenue in Westchester Heights in the Bronx just after 1 a.m. when Berkowitz approached and shot them, killing Donna instantly and injuring Jody. The shooting would become the first in a string of attacks that lasted through July of the next year, including shootings on the 26th and the 30th of July, 1977, almost one year to the day after Berkowitz's first attack. Jody Valenti's description of the shooter would become an integral part of the case once Berkowitz was captured in August of 1977, and he was found to resemble her description exactly. 
103 years ago on July 30, 1916. The Black Tom explosion near Jersey City levels buildings, kills four, and injures hundreds. Operatives working for the German forces either set fires or detonated small bombs to destroy ammunition being stored at the pier that was to be used against Germany by U.S. allies in World War I. The largest explosion that happened at 2 a.m. was equivalent to a 5 or a 5.5 magnitude earthquake. It shattered windows across Jersey City and Lower Manhattan and famously damaged the Statue of Liberty, causing tours of the torch to be prohibited still to this day. You can read more about the explosion from the FBI's website at the link in the show notes. Forty-eight years ago, on August 1, 1971, George Harrison and Ravi Shankar organized the Concert for Bangladesh at Madison Square Garden. The concert was a fundraising effort in support of refugees from East Pakistan, now called Bangladesh. Although only advertised as George Harrison and Friends, the two concerts featured famous names like Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, and Ringo Starr, and raised $250,000 in what was one of the first large-scale benefit concerts. Sales of the live concert recording and the documentary filmed of the concert continue to fund relief efforts to this day. The Straphangers Campaign and Transit Center had some distinguished awards to hand out to two of the city's bus lines this week. In Manhattan, the M14A, which runs from Lower East Side to Chelsea along 14th Street, received the award for the slowest bus line, achieving an average speed of just 4.3 miles per hour. When it comes to reliability, Brooklyn's B15 bus comes in last place, leaving bus riders wondering when or if the next bus will arrive. The slowest buses in Queens and Staten Island are leaving the other boroughs in the dust, racing down city streets at 6.4 and 7.8 miles per hour, respectively. And now a look back through a great big city history. One year ago, we were talking about Revel bringing electric mopeds to Brooklyn. The pilot program must have been a success because by May of 2019, they announced that they would be adding 1,000 more electric mopeds to their fleet and expanding their service area. And back in 2017, in a Quinnipiac poll, voters surveyed only gave de Blasio a 50% approval rating, and he was hammered on the issue of homelessness, with a 60% disapproval rating on his handling of poverty and homelessness in the city and 73% of respondents ranked homelessness as a very serious problem facing the city. Unfortunately, those job approval numbers have only gotten worse, sinking down with each survey until he reached a 42% approval rating when Quinnipiac last asked this question in April of 2019. Coming up next on The Great Big City, this woman bought what she thought was a watermelon, but you won't believe what happened next. <clears throat> Coming up. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? I said no already. Coming up next. Homeowners in Oswego, New York can't believe this one weird trick. Other news websites are quick to trick their readers with clickbait headlines and undercover ads, but a great big city is dedicated to keeping the news straightforward and factual. 
If A Great Big City has kept you informed over the years, make a contribution at agreatbigcity.com slash support. And if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to view rates and learn more. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? Oh, not again. Park of the Day. Arcea Playground on Teller Avenue in the Bronx. This playground, which is jointly operated by the Parks Department and the Board of Education, has had several names since it was first opened in 1962. The JHS-145 Playground, Arturo Tuscanini Playground, Clay Playground, and now Arcea Playground, the Spanish word for clay. In Parks Events, this Sunday, July 28th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., the Queens County Farm Museum will be hosting the 41st annual Thunderbird American Indian Powwow. The festival lasts three days, and many Native American tribes will hold dance competitions, showcase hoop dancers, and light a bonfire at sundown. There will be a large selection of Native American art, crafts, jewelry, and food will be available. A single-day pass costs $10 for adults and $5 for children. Find more details on the park's website or at the Queens County Farm Museum's website. You can call 718-347-3276 or email info at queensfarm.org. And now let's see if our robot friend has found any concerts that can rival George Harrison, Eric Clapton, and Bob Dylan on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Kirk Franklin and Corinne Hawthorne are playing the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side on Sunday, July 28th at 8 p.m. Limbo, Pixel Grip, Rare DM are playing Babies All Right on Monday, July 29th. Rob Thomas and Abby Anderson are playing the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side on Monday, July 29th at 8 p.m. Barry Manilow is playing Lunt Fontana Theater in Midtown on Tuesday, July 30th at 7 p.m. Snail Mail and Duster are playing Brooklyn Steel on Wednesday, July 31st. Lights is playing the Bowery Ballroom on the Lower East Side on Wednesday, July 31st at 9 p.m. The Rolling Stones and the Wombats are playing MetLife Stadium on Thursday, August 1st. Ben Folds and the Violent Femmes are playing the rooftop at Pier 17 on Thursday, August 1st. Blood Orange and Kelsey Lou are playing Lincoln Center on Thursday, August 1st. The Chemical Brothers and Charlotte DeWitt are playing Forest Hills Stadium on Thursday, August 1st at 6 p.m. Herbie Hancock is playing the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side on Thursday, August 1st at 7 p.m. Bad Religion and The Explosion are playing Webster Hall on Friday, August 2nd. Sarah McLaughlin and the New York Pops are playing Forest Hills Stadium on Friday, August 2nd at 7 p.m. And Barbara Streisand is playing Madison Square Garden on Saturday, August 3rd. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. Those silver water sampling boxes along the sidewalk are used to monitor the quality of New York City's water. There are 965 stations citywide, and more than 1,300 samples are collected each month. The extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history? A record high of 102 degrees on July 31, 1933, and a record low of 55 degrees on July 27, 1920. Weather for the week ahead? A chance of light rain on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week, 
with highs in the 80s and approaching 90, with UV indexes in the very high range for many days. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Pocket Casts, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of A Great Big City. Thanks for being part of A Great Big City.